For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis. I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things. You talk about revolution in 68. No, we make the revolution before. Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a soul and minimize the waste and think a little before we we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. You might know that I'm an ambassador for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Make Fashion Circular initiative. Did you listen to my interview with Ellen last season? She is so great. Please do. It's uh, episode number 57. And also the one with William McDonough, which is number 59 and all about cradle to cradle. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation works on circular economy. And the fashion part is led by my mate, Francois Suchet. They're actually based in the Isle of Wight because Ellen is, of course, a legendary world record winning sailor. (laughs) I've been to see them and it's not exactly a fashion capital. It's the sort of place where everyone lives in jeans. Oh, hang on. That's every place. (laughs) Which is why Francois and his team, and actually, shout out to Ross Finden. You know you're my favourite. That's why the team have been focusing on jeans for the next project. And I got the scoop when I was in London in May. It's called the Jeans Redesign Guidelines. And the aim is to get everyone on board, so brands, manufacturers and recyclers, to make denim circular. The guidelines set out minimum requirements on garment durability, material health, recyclability and traceability. And they launched this week with brands committing to bringing jeans to market that are made in this way by 2021. And they include Lee, I've got this big list here, Mud Jeans, Outer Known, which is Kelly Slater's brand, Reformation. I'd love to get Reformation on the podcast, actually. Tommy Hilfiger, they're doing great things. They've got this new denim centre in Amsterdam that's all focused on sustainability. Also, H&M, bestseller, CNA and Gap. Now, Francois promises there are more to come. And he says, by working together, we can create jeans that last longer, that can be remade into new jeans at the end of their use and are better for the environment and for garment workers. And this is just the start. Okay. Globally, we produce about 2 billion pairs a year, but the jeans we wear today are not the jeans of 30 years ago. Changes to the way we produce and sell them are leading to huge environmental problems with waste and pollution. Companies are still using harmful chemicals. Here's an example. I don't know if you know about potassium permanganate. It's horrible stuff. It contains a heavy metal called manganese. It's highly toxic to fish. And if not properly contained, it can bioaccumulate in our waterways and food chains. What else? Well, stone washing. Not only is it thirsty and the pumice stones create a lot of sludge that needs to be disposed of, but it also trashes the fabric. A little while ago, I posted a picture of some horrible fashion Nova jeans that had all these tears on the thighs and the knees. But it was interesting to see your comments on Instagram. People were just not into it. People were like, yuck, 
<laughs> I mend my jeans, loved clothes last. Um, actually, my mum had the best comment. Go, mum. She told everyone that her favourite gardening shorts had actually been her favourite Levi's back in 1968. Come on. She's had them all that time. She's been wearing them ever since. The jeans redesign guidelines also set out minimum standards for recyclability, including 98% cellulosic content. So that means cotton, hemp, or it could be viscose. And we'll hear from Francois why blends are a problem. That 98%, it's to include zipper tape, threads, labels, interlinings, all of it. And they're also asking for metal rivets to go or at least be reduced. Now, if you want more on circularity from a different perspective, next week's interview is with emerging Australian designer Courtney Home of ABCH, and she's proving that you don't have to have multinational heft behind you to make fashion circular. I did ask Francois about the indies because I know a lot of these grand initiatives lock in the big names first. And I mean, that's practical because we need to scale change. But he said they do care about smaller brands and would love to hear from any jeans labels who can meet these guidelines. You can download them from www.ellenmacarthurfoundation.org. Maybe I'll do a bit of a roundup of some indie jeans geniuses in next week's newsletter. What do you think? Have you signed up for it yet? Wardrobe Crisis News goes out every Thursday. Actually, last week you could win fair trade chocolate. Come on, you know you want that. Please do sign up. The link is on clairepress.com or my Instagram at Mrs. Press. Francois, where are we? <laughs> let's set the scene. Wait, let's set the scene. So we are in the basement of the Chilton Firehouse in Which London. Which is a very A-list venue, but we're in a kind of dirty It doesn't dungeon. feel A-list at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. But we're here yeah. to talk about something extremely important, which is Make Fashion Circular, which everyone knows is my pet cause. Tell us about your role. So my role is to uh, lead that program at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Now, we're actually going to talk specifically about some exciting new research and a new initiative, which is about making denim circular. Everyone wears jeans. Actually, I never wear jeans. You're wearing jeans. I always wear jeans. Good, we've got some balance. According to the British anthropologists Daniel Miller and Sophie Woodward, we wear jeans on average 3.5 days a week. And what they did was they went to all these different cities and counted the first 100 people that they saw and then averaged them out. So nice. that was the way they figured it out. But essentially, half the time we're wearing jeans. The global jeans market is worth $57 billion US, or was in 2017. I got that from your new report. And that year, almost 2 billion pairs were sold. Ellen MacArthur's new initiative, which is Jeans Redesign. Apart from volume, why? The reason we look at the Jeans Redesign, like there are two reasons. The first one is... Jeans are everywhere, like you said, so they're a very good product to start thinking about what circular economy can mean. Um, and there's been a lot of effort that has been led for the past few years on jeans around sourcing better cotton, having better dyes, better finishes. But all of those are a little bit disconnected. And so the second reason why is aiming to bring a sort of like holistic approach to creating a good pair of jeans. So what does it mean? And that was the question we started with. 
let's talk about how you did it. So how did the team put this stuff together? You're, the process of the research involved working with something like 40 experts and people from jeans companies and academics Absolutely. and also recyclers, right? Absolutely. So the way we worked for jeans is we started to do a desk research looking at everything that was happening on jeans. So we went to Premier Vision Denim. We looked What's that? Premier Vision Denim is a industry fair where manufacturers and producers just show their latest development and products. And we went there, talked to many people to understand where did they see progress and innovation in the in the gene space. And then what we did was kind of build a picture of what was happening in genes and what could be done. And then involved over 20 companies that are working in genes from across the industry. So we involved people who make the fiber, like manufacturers who've been innovating in genes for many years, a lot of brands, but also collectors and people like uh, Bank and Vogue or iCollect, um, but also recyclers like Renew Cell or Evernew. We've talked about Avenue on this podcast before. It's an innovative company that's figured out how to recycle blends, actually. Absolutely. Um, they're working with Nike. They're working with Target. What was the other one you mentioned? Uh, Renewcell. Renewcell is a similar technology to Avenue. They are based in Sweden. They have received a lot of support from a variety of brands like H&M. And they currently have a partnership with Bank Envo, which is a, a collector in Canada, to recycle, uh, chemically recycle uh, jeans. So they have like a pilot factory that's able to take a number of tons. And just there before we go on in case, listeners don't know what we're talking about when we say chemically recycled. Traditionally, you recycle by shredding the fabric. You literally tear it apart and that makes the fibers shorter. So why would we use chemical recycling and what is it? So chemical recycling is a way to basically dissolve the product. So you take like, let's say a pair of jeans, you dissolve it and then you reassemble the molecules that you've dissolved into a new fiber. And that allows you to basically re-engineer the fiber like you want to and without necessarily degrading the quality and the length of the fiber as much as you would with shredding. But also the other interest of chemical recycling is that by dissolving your product, you can actually remove the dyes, you can remove a lot of the chemicals that are being used and, and that way the, the fiber you get is uh, pure. In this conversation, when you're not a scientist, chemical can sound like a dirty word. In fact, everything is a chemical. We have to talk about synthetic chemicals, for example, or hazardous chemicals. Mm. Cradle to Cradle has worked with a few recyclers to make sure that the, the chemicals they used are used in a closed loop so that the chemicals are like not released in, in the environment, but also that the chemical processes do not lead to pollution uh, once the, the chemicals can't be used anymore. And a lot of that chemical recycling is also through like uh, using enzymes and stuff to like dissolve the fiber. I'd love to visit one of these places. I think yeah. that's my next job. I'm particularly interested in what you learned from recyclers. Now, Francois, the reason we're doing this podcast is actually because you told me last time we met something I never knew, and it was so shocking, about recycling denim and the seams. Yes, yeah, so we often think, especially if we have denim that's 100% cotton, that everything can be recycled, but that is not the case. So because of the way the seams are made, they're often made with uh, polyester, often the pockets of your jeans so will be thread. made. the thread. The thread, yeah. And even if we're talking about 100% cotton jeans, which we're not often talking about, because usually they blend them with some lycra or some stretch. Yeah. 
like the seams are often made with plastics, the thread, and also like the pockets are often made with plastics. And then you have all the complexity at, on top of the denim with like the button, the leather patch, and, and the rivets, which basically mean that in the best case scenario, if you want to re like recycle a pair of jeans, you cut the top yeah. of the jeans and then you cut around the seams <laughs> and you can only recover the legs basically. It makes sense and it's logical. I'd never known that. But when you said it to me, I was like, that is demented. So when we think about the recyclability of a pair of jeans, we're actually often talking about them literally cutting two panels out of the legs and that's what you get. Yeah. Get out. So wasteful. Exactly. So like when you start thinking about, okay, jeans, you require a lot of dyeing to make them indigo blue. Then you require a lot of finishing to give them like the shade and the level of uh, fade that you want. And then the quality is decreasing, so you wear them for less and less long. And actually, in the end, you can recycle only a <laughs> very tiny fraction. In the best case scenario, you can only recycle a tiny fraction. That kind of builds the case for white jeans, doesn't it? What else did you learn that was surprising and perhaps just sticking with talking to recyclers? What were they telling you? What are the challenges? So one of the things that we saw and that was quite surprising to us when talking to recyclers is when we asked, how can we design a product so that your process is as efficient as possible? So we can basically maximize the throughput you have, so how much product you can actually process so that the economics work better for you. Because mm. one of the key problems today with recycled content and, and a lot of the better fiber in general is that they are much more expensive. So the, the case for using them is kind of like fighting the profitability equation for yeah. brands, which is why they're not used that much. So how can we make sure that they have maximum, maximum efficiency in their process so that their fiber can be like as cheap as possible? And what we found out is actually they need to have as much cellulosic fibers as possible in the product. So the figure we came to after many interviews was 98%. We need 98% purity of cellulosic fiber. So you're talking about jeans. the actual fabric itself that may be a blend of, as you the said, fabric, some polyester fiber but or also including Also the seams. The seams, no. including the pockets, including everything. But the yikes, entire product that's by not weight. Happen. That's hard. 98% is hard. Well, that's what we're trying to work on. That's the entire idea of this, of this work. And, and what's really fascinating with this work is it allowed us to really clarify areas where the industry needs to come together and innovate. Stretch is the main one. So today it's just completely bonkers to think that we're going to remove stretch from any type of fabric because it brings so much convenience and, and comfort. It's that word recover, isn't it? Which is the insider industry word to say that your jeans don't get need or baggy or whatever it is. But as consumers, we're addicted to that great recovery of jeans that have yeah. a blend in. Exactly. Exactly. So innovating towards stretch that can actually be recycled is one of the key innovation gaps that we've outlined. Is not another concern of recyclers the fact that it's very difficult to understand the fiber content when they are presented Absolutely. with a load of old genes? Absolutely. So with the genes redesign, what we do is we align industry behind a set of minimum bar, basically. So we say the durability needs to meet a minimum criteria of 30 washes. You need to durability. be able to... Durability, yeah. Did I say What did I say? 
I couldn't understand you because you're okay. so French. Durabilité. I'm going to say durabilité. Le temps pendant lequel on utilise les jeans. Durabilité. We actually have. We are popular in France. Oh, yeah? We should just do nice. this in French. We should just do it in I French. I just have to read it like a schoolgirl uh, if I had my questions uh, in French and then I wouldn't have a clear what your answers were. At least my accent were. wouldn't be an issue this time. Um, it would be mine. <laughs> the, the durability of the product needs to meet a certain criteria which uh, we've established at 30 washes for a variety of reasons, which means you can wash it 30 times and it still meets the minimum criteria in terms of durability that the brand has. The second thing is you need to have materials health, which is like you need to ensure that the materials you input in your product are safe and renewable, which means organic, regenerative, or in transition, because today the availability of organic cotton is quite limited. So in transition just means it's farmers that are incentivized to move towards organic, but are not there yet, but they're on, on their journey towards organic. And then you have also all the chemicals, dyes, and finishes that are considered in those guidelines so that we use processes that are not as polluting as the main processes that are being used. Then there's the recyclability. So consider how can we make sure that this product can effectively be recycled. That's where the fiber purity comes in. That's also uh, where some criteria around assembly, around materials variability come in. And the last one is what you mentioned, traceability. How can we find that this product is actually meeting those guidelines that have been designed so that when collectors get it, they can either resell it or recycle it. And we've developed a logo that will be printed in the same space for all jeans and that will make the, that pair of jeans easy to find and identify. Which brands are you currently working with? So we're working with a number of brands. We're working with H&M, Gap, CNA, Stella McCartney, and a few others on that. We are also working with manufacturers like Hirda Armani or Arvin, which are two large jeans manufacturers. The aim would be to make sure that all the big players are part of this, right? Absolutely. It strikes me that maybe there are people listening who've got small brands who would love to be part of this yeah. initiative. Is there a possibility for the smaller guys to join in? Absolutely. Absolutely. The goal is just to like create visibility and align the broad industry behind a, a common perspective mm. of what good looks like. If any brands wants to get in touch and, and share what they do and, and sign up to the guidelines, absolutely, they can just connect with us. Let's talk about some more of those guidelines. So they outlaw some of the obvious things like sandblasting, which we know mm. causes silicosis and workers. In fairness, that's pretty much been phased yeah. out by most responsible brands already. Absolutely. But what about stonewashing? So... That's still happening widely. Traditional stonewashing uses pumice and it leaves behind a potentially contaminated sludge. It also, in the kind of regular process, uses loads of water. The way we developed the guidelines was by working with the brands and by involving experts. So we've involved over 40 experts and over 20 brands in doing it. And basically, those guidelines are the result of a co-creation <laughs> you know that's my most hated word, and I'm going to leave it in just to shame you. Let's say all the words just now so that yeah, we can exactly. make sure we do so not use So it's a collaborative, them. co-creative effort um, <laughs> Is it that's been done iteratively. Is it uh, curated as well? Um, yeah, because we curated. Basically, the way we've developed the guidelines was desk research, interviews in depth, etc. Best practice uh, from the people practice. who've actually figured out new, exactly. mo new ways of doing Exactly, but also looking it. at 
like we've involved textile exchange, cradle to cradle, and and all those people, ZDHC who's been working on the on the chemical restriction list, and then we have brought all those stakeholders in a design sprint to create convergence on okay, where can we agree? the buys and and the stone finishing was definitely one of the things mm. that was like okay we really need to innovate our way out of it and we know from the manufacturers that there are alternative ways of doing those finishes that are used by already a variety of brands and so it's not a a massive barrier essentially you can use lasers to do the distressing that traditionally we've done through abrasion so mm. it's actually the tech is there let's talk about dyes so natural indigo is a plant There's an Australian brand that I do some work with called Basic, and they told me this lovely story about how they produce in Japan using natural indigo, and the producers use the excess. So you basically put compost on local rose gardens. It's a lovely story. Nice But indigo is natural. However, now I got this from Lucy Siegel, a story that was in The Guardian. It was December 2015, so it may have slightly changed. But she says, synthetic indigo dyes are derived from coal tar and toxic chemicals and are slow to decompose. 90% of genes from China are using these dyes as of December 2015. So basically, even though we think indigo is natural, most denim production doesn't use natural indigo, mm. <laughs> which brings us on to the ZDHC, which is the Zero Discharge of Hazardous Chemicals Foundation. So yep. you're suggesting, as part of the guidelines, that everybody needs to comply with is level one of this stuff. Yes. What's that mean exactly. then? So the ZDHC was created after the initial detox campaign from Greenpeace that called out a lot of the hazardous processes that the industry was leading. And the work of the ZDHC has been to identify the most harmful chemicals that are used with the industry and banning them and just creating what's called a manufacturer restricted list of chemicals. We support the work of ZDHC and we ask for the brands who will commit to that to at minimum comply with the level one guidelines from uh, ZDHC. We know that there are a number of tiers uh, within the work of ZDHC because we want the guidelines to be applied by 2020 or max May 2021 and because there's such a short timeline the work we've done has been to like basically compromise the level of ambition with the timeline that mm -hmm. we had so mm -hmm. we wanted to push the bar significantly while respecting the the timeline and the the feasibility of that at scale by brands There's some other things that you are suggesting would make denim more sustainable that might be more surprising. Of course, we want to outlaw hazardous chemicals. Mm. Obviously, everyone is looking to reduce water. But what about rivets? So <laughs> it was Levi Strauss that added metal rivets to denim trousers to make them last. So for durability during the gold rush. Maybe you've heard of the work that G-Star did with what they called the most sustainable jeans ever, which were cradle-to-cradle -cradle certified gold and they use less chemicals and much less water, but they also removed the rivets. Why? Rivets are meant to keep the jeans uh, more durable, make them last longer. So that's no longer true. So it was uh, during the gold rush that allowed actually workers to put their tools in their pockets because it would make the pockets a lot more resistant. But now you have ways to seam the, the to pockets. Them. Yeah, and you don't need rivets anymore. What are rivets made of? They are uh, copper-plated steel, I believe. They're just metal. 
And the problem with the rivets, basically, is because they are so hard to remove, actually, in terms of the efficiency of the process from the recycler, they won't be able to remove one by one all the rivets. So they just cut below. Mm -hmm. And the more rivets you have, the more they will have to cut. So that's why we call for a minimum number of rivets. So like, if your brand relies on having some rivets, okay, but put a minimum number of rivets. Don't put eight rivets per pair of jeans. It strikes me, Francois, that often when we're talking about making fashion circular and indeed making everything circular, a lot of it's just common sense, but we need mm. to be reminded of the problems and we need to look at them head on. But yeah. you're basically saying it's really hard to get these things out. Someone's got to cut them off. Exactly. The key thing with circular economy is just expanding the brief. But once you expand the, the brief around like what you think, like the design brief to not just like the functionality and the beauty of the product, but also how it will be used and, and recycled, a lot of the decisions become quite obvious, but it's just expanding that and creating a conversation between the people who will actually get the product once it stops being used and the people who are putting it on the market. Often when we're looking at how we can make fashion more sustainable in general, we talk about mm -hmm. design. There's an oft-quoted stat that I still haven't got to the bottom of, I don't know where it comes from, but we say that up to, could be anything, eh, if it's up to, yeah, exactly. up to 80% of a product's environmental impact yeah. is decided at the design stage. Mm. But when we talk about making fashion circular, we're looking beyond that, aren't we? Yeah, so I, I think what we've tried to do with the, with the guidelines, and I think what is really important is that to see all those decisions as reinforcing one another, as being like all going in the right direction. So making sure that your product has minimum impact when you create it is great. So like making sure that you have minimum water and carbon footprint for the product during its creation stage is fundamental. But also making sure that this product will last long enough and also will not become waste because it can be turned into something of value is fundamental. And I think it's just adding those criteria together and what we've tried with the guidelines is create like a sort of simple framework to allow designers and manufacturers and recyclers to kind of think together about what that means. So we've talked about durability, mm -hmm. we've talked about embedding in the original design processes and practices that minimize water and chemical use mm -hmm. but there's another piece of the picture that happens after the consumer takes a denim home. Yes. So one of the key things also that we have in the guidelines is actually provide clear guidance on how you should care for your product. One thing that we saw is there's still a lot of myths around what good care for your clothes are. And one of the key things is, are you able to read the care label on your clothes? And does it even say anything that is useful? Yeah, does it say anything useful? But are, do you understand all those signs? I don't. And so providing clear guidance on it's cold wash. You shouldn't wash your jeans as regularly as most people do. No tampon drying. On recycling, do we need to incentivize brands to use more recycled content because it's still difficult to make anything out of 100% recycled textile yeah. material? I know some companies are raising the bar. They're using more, a greater percentage of recycled material. And it might be about combining recycled cotton with recycled polyester, for example. No, you don't like that. The problem when you start thinking about inclusion of recycled content is that you should not do that at the expense of what your product can become afterwards. So we and need to keep them separate. Exactly. So material purity is one of the key things. And if you look at a lot of development that's been going on in the broader world of circular fashion, what 
people like Adidas or Radici Group have proven is that it is entirely possible to create a high-performance product using a single materials that then can be shredded and recycled. Um, and, yeah. I'm just going to suggest that if you want to learn more about this, there's a lovely podcast that we did with William McDonough who explains that whole thing about biological versus technical nutrients and keeping them separate and how it all works. Absolutely. And, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of that because I think sometimes I don't think it's greenwashing but it just comes from not understanding we can say it's all good if it's recycled without Absolutely. understanding how it actually works together yeah so it's it's this entire story of how broad is your brief how wide do you look around you and if you just look at your own footprint and the like silo in which you operate then of course including recycled content is a great way to mitigate your impact but if you start looking at how your product will then fit within the industry and how can it become something once people stop using it, then you need to start thinking about how do you ensure that the recycled content you put in can also be recycled. Otherwise, you're, you're not really moving the needle. Isn't this one of the problems that we have with circularity? I've lost count of how many people have said to me, oh, well, it's not enough. We need to look at reducing consumption or stop <laughs> pretending that making everything circular is going to make everything fine. We also need to, I mean, it's always reduced consumption, which I think is a very salient point. However, obviously, if we had a regenerative system, it would be better for the environment. How do we sort of cut through that complexity, avoid greenwashing? Is the fact that it tends to be so easy to say, oh, we're circular because we're using recycled materials. Is that yeah. part of the problem? I think fundamentally, what you want to be is a thriving business with a positive impact on your ecosystem whether it's the people who work with you, whether it's the environment in which you operate, etc. Circular economy is a tool that you use to achieve that. So circular economy is just a framework that enables you to think about what decision can you make that will enable you to be a thriving business with a positive impact. So whether it's about finding strategies so your products can be used more, what business model can you have that enable your product to be used more? We're not talking about reducing consumption. We're talking about increasing use. With the rise of social media, with the rise of like the 24-7 lifestyle, it's just counterintuitive to say to people, you have to do less, you have to stop. And it's not really an inspiring like narrative. Like, who do you get? You get the people who are already convinced, but you lose half of the population or even two-thirds of the population with that narrative. So how can you bring people in a journey where it's about making better choices because you provide a better alternative? And then using good materials from safe and renewable resources and entering the products that you put on the market can effectively be turned back into the products that you can put again back on the market. But a lot of the, I think, confusion and perceived complexity of circular economy is because people see it as an end in itself. I want to be circular. Actually, you want to be a thriving business with positive impact. And the second thing is this confusion around what loops, what stuff. You hate the closing the loop phrase, oh, don't you? I, I absolutely <laughs> I have to avoid it. I hate it because fundamentally, when you say you want to close the loop, the only thing you say is you want to recycle stuff. And we know that recycling comes also with a lot of impact. You need to transport the stuff to the recycling plant. When you talk about chemical recycling, you need to input a lot of energy to break the molecules of, of your product. So fundamentally, make sure the stuff you put on the market can be used more by finding better business models and better strategy to do so, and make sure that it can be very easily, very effectively recycled or even composted going back to uh, Bill McDonough. But you can't just say, oh, we're going to close the loop. It's going to be all fine. 
Mm, let's talk about that, keeping clothing in use for longer. The new textiles economy report from 2017 has become like, I described it as the mothership, because it's like everyone refers to this report. It's giant and meaty and filled with all these to me, like world-checking stats. That's where I learned that less than 1% of used clothing is recycled into new clothing. Mm. How much progress have we made since awareness in general has risen around this? What we start to see, and, and I think you've been in, in that world much longer than I have, so you probably have a much better perspective on that, but what I see is that the conversation around the impact of fashion and the need to find industry-led solution is moving into the mainstream and we're increasingly moving towards asking action from the industry rather than asking customer to change their behavior which has been the narrative for a very long time so now it's like customer demanding better choices demanding for the industry to act and and do something and i think that's extremely positive the second thing is we also start to see especially in europe raising awareness with policymakers mm. who are increasingly investigating and starting to really get their head around what can be done and how can they support the industry, enable the industry to move towards a more restorative and regenerative system. I'd actually like to ask you about policy, but can we just stick with consumers for the moment? Absolutely. How Obviously, behavioural change is an important part of the piece. Mm. Do you want to tell us about the campaign that you just... I've just yep. finished in New York. So if you want to impact behavior, there are two things, convenience and incentives. Those are the two ways you can influence behaviors. What we've tried to do in New York with the hashtag Next campaign is raise awareness around the convenience that exists for New Yorkers to like, help their use clothes to find a new life, basically. So the idea is to tell people clothes are not trash, and you have throughout the city 1,100 different points where you can bring your clothes when you're not using them anymore. And you didn't create those points. They're already no, there. absolutely not. But it's just about saying, here's they've, a map. You had an there. interactive map, right? Exactly. So we were just supporting that. So basically, there's a number of organizations that have developed collection points throughout New York City. The Department of Sanitation of New York has created a map listing all those collection points, but also all the apps and online tools that you can use, like ThreadUp like, and others. And what we've done is just bring together a common narrative for the city and a variety of brands and a variety of actors to just use simple messaging, raising awareness on actually there's very convenient ways for you to help the clothes you're not using anymore find a new use. That's an incredible initiative that happened in New York. Perhaps we might see it in other cities. Do you plan on rolling it out elsewhere? We're exploring how where next could be rolled out to more places and also how we can increase the impact of the campaign. Absolutely. In January, Paris announced that it wanted to be the most sustainable fashion capital with their Paris Good Fashion Initiative. The Alan MacArthur Foundation was involved in that. In what way? So the um, involvement we've had with Paris um, so far was just to explore how some of the solutions that we are developing at a global level with Make Fashion Secular could be brought down to a local level in Paris and driven by local actors within Paris. That may include Where Next, that may also include a variety of other projects. Is it because you are from Paris? <laughs> I, I, I have 
probably some emotional attachment to the place. We can't finish without me asking you about you, Francois. I know that this is meant to be a broad discussion about circularity. Do you rent your own clothes? You just pulled a face. You don't. Well, I, that look, was a face of guilt. No. <laughs> well, first, rental services today are much more broadly available for women. In fairness, you are right. And should I just I, say, and much more readily available in America. It's quite absolutely. hard here. It's, it's very it's hard, hard on the Isle of Wight. Especially on the Isle of Wight, yeah. And the second thing is I buy stuff and I wear it until it's broken. So I've had like jeans and stuff that I've had for like six, seven years and I've completely worn them out. So I keep my stuff forever. I've, I've, I don't have a style, so it's just it's not really difficult. What was your business background before you took this role on? I was a management consultant. In what kind of areas? in operational effectiveness, what does that even mean? which means basically you help organizations reduce their costs by finding strategies that enable them to do so. That was management speak. I loved it. My question then has to be, how has being immersed in this work fundamentally about sustainability and living more lightly on the planet, mm-hmm. how has that changed the way that you view the world and also live in your own life? You become much more aware of how if you if you use yourself somehow as a kind of benchmark for the average Joe that makes decisions that are guided by, again, convenience and the incentives that you receive, and you kind of are self-aware when you make those decisions and think like, okay, if I go shopping, what do I see? How the environment in which I'm in is actually driving some of like the impulses that you have, then you, you start thinking, okay, how can we use that drive but to actually promote better solutions so that's kind of one of the ways it's impacted me i like how you mentioned average joe i think that often these conversations can feel like they are in an echo chamber that we're talking to people who are fired up and obsessed Mm. with sustainability but we need everyone to change behavior and business and the Mm. whole system to change in order to make it sustainable what's the role of the consumer in this you mentioned before that traditionally we're like change your behavior and Mm. letting business off and now we're saying no change the system and then give the consumer more choices but what is the role of the average joanna (laughs) josette exactly josette (laughs) so i feel one of the key reasons I, I was really attracted to circular economy is because it changes the narrative away from guilt to something that's much more positive. And I think that's very much what drove me towards it. I've never been like an eco-warrior or anything. What I feel is really important as customers is to understand the power that we have to demand change. So not necessarily to affect change. Ross in our team says it very nicely saying, asking customer to change the industry is like asking passenger to fly a plane. They have a say in the direction the plane is taking, but you can't ask them to have the technical knowledge of flying that plane. And I think that's fundamentally where we are now. And with the access we have to brands through social media, through our collective power, we can have those conversations and demand that change. Previously, it was just installed. Now you can really reach out to the brand very publicly mm. and demand for better solution. I think that's a very effective lever. If we were to leave listeners with a couple or one, I don't care, one to three action points. <laughs> one to three. I don't know. What do you suggest they do right now? And this could be around denim, but what can we do that's easy, that's practical, that's actually something that we can do today? Yeah. So what you can do today is understand how to better care for your clothes. So what you already have, how do you make sure that the way you wash it, etc., enables you to keep it longer? 
The second thing is make sure that it doesn't become waste. So if you stop using it, just find a new life for it. And I think those would be uh, the two things I would start with. And, and ask questions. Just ask questions. Just, just If you have a brand that you really love, that you're really attracted to, and you feel that they're not doing enough, just share that frustration with them. Because the more people do that, the more it will go higher up in the organization. And if it comes through the marketing department, it carries a lot of weight. Do you think that I was horrible because I just took the mick out of your awesome French accent the whole way through this? No, that's fine. That's <laughs> I'm fine. allowed, right? I've, I've actually made, been made fun of recently because I was losing that French accent. So it's good to see that I'm not losing it completely. Mate, I've lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Francois. Touché. Oh, it's getting hard. My parents feel that I'm defending you. I tell them all that they are wrong because I love you. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you we're okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends don't feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you